Hey, I know it's a COVID year and, you know, sometimes it's hard to even know what day it is, but did you, did you notice that spring came yesterday? I know you're not supposed to wear white until spring. I think that's the rule. Did you know that God told Moses that the first day of the year was to be on the first of the Hebrew month of Nisan, which falls right about now? Um, and if you think about it, if you make spring the new year versus January, like the middle of winter, or in the Jewish world today, they celebrate it in the fall, Rosh Hashanah, if you, make it, if you keep it spring the way God intended it to be, you're coming out of this dark, dormant, dying winter, right? And like last week when we had the the uh, snowmageddon didn't didn't feel like ah, you know but but when spring arrives it's like there's hope new life you can drive up south Boulder road and you'll see the calves being born in the fields there and the flowers are starting to come up and it's like okay we're going to make it and i like that if you think about that the seasons are intentional and they're meant to give us that cycle of life and then death and then new life, and then death, and we're in the middle of new life. So have hope. Not only will the weather improve, and um, although those of you who ski are sad that it's spring, but it's good spring skiing, right, in Colorado. Um, I just want to start with reading the passage for today. It's, it's Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. Let's, let's all stand up and read it together. Get some blood flowing through your veins. And um, we'll just read it from the screen to make sure we're all reading the same thing. So I, Nehemiah, read it with me, went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounds with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I yet had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Stay standing for a second. I'd like to focus on that last sentence. Just just soak it in for a second. And I'd like us to personalize it a little bit before I start this message. I'd like us to to re-read that sentence, but I want you to substitute your own name for Jerusalem and the word I for the word we. Can we do that together? 
So you just, just maybe you just your first name. Let's read it. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jean, and I will no longer be in disgrace. Let's do it again. Your name, go. Have a seat. On February 9th, 1971, which most of you in this room were not born then, at 6 a.m. in the morning, I was sound asleep in my waterbed. Yes, my groovy, far-out 70s waterbed. When I was abruptly awakened to my body slamming hard against a wall that was located about three feet from my bed. And it only took me a few seconds to realize that I was being thrown into that wall by a violent earthquake that created something like a tsunami in my waterbed and that this earthquake was still shaking quite forcefully when I awoke. I grew up in California where earthquakes are, are quite common And as an earthquake begins to shake, you learn that it it just creates a lot of anxiety because you just never know how long it's going to last or how intense it will become. Those of you who have lived in California, I know you know know what I'm talking about. This one only lasted 12 seconds, but it seemed like an eternity because I only lived 15 miles from the epicenter, and the depth of this earthquake was very close to the Earth's surface, both which caused the force of an earthquake to be more extreme. Trust me, this was a very scary one. I was 19 years old at the time and attending community college, and my school, along with just about everything else in the San Fernando Valley, closed that day uh, in an abundance of caution. The damage was quite extensive, 64 people dead, 49 from two wings of a local vet hospital that totally collapsed, a few others from a couple freeway bridges that also collapsed, and hundreds of people injured by the falling debris. That body slam into the wall made my ribs pretty sore, and my home uh, sustained some structural damage. All the news agencies advised everyone to please stay home, especially stay away from those severely damaged areas, but... Being a fairly curious and somewhat rebellious teen at the time, me and a few friends packed into my Toyota Corolla, and within an hour of the quake, we headed out to see how close we could get to those collapsed hospital wings and freeway overpasses. We were actually surprised at how easy it was to get anywhere that we wanted to go. They just had not mobilized uh, enough law enforcement to keep people away. And we were able to see the two collapsed hospital wings while rescuers were still searching for bodies and the collapsed freeway overpasses uh, perched on crushed vehicles below with dead people still in those cars, along with all the other devastation that the quake had caused. And surveying all the damage that morning was quite sobering and had a profound and lasting impact on me, even to this day. So in our text in Nehemiah, he has a similar sobering experience as he returns to Jerusalem from Babylon to survey all the destruction caused by the Babylonians. But unlike my goal, which was just to gawk at the damage, you know, Nehemiah's goal is to assess the damage so that he can rebuild 
the broken down walls and the burned down gates that provided secure boundaries around the city of Jerusalem. And in so doing, removed Jerusalem's disgrace, as we just read in our passage for this morning. This morning. Those walls functioned as safe buffers between the bad guys who lived on the outside and the good guys who lived on the inside. And because walls in ancient times created a safe environment, everything within the city's walls became the center or the heart, the heart of that city. To this day, many cities describe their downtown areas as the city center, right? Today, uh, Jerusalem's downtown area is called Merkaz Ha'ir, literally the city center. And it's not uncommon for those who live in, in Merkaz Ha'ir, Shel Yerushalayim, the center of Jerusalem, to say, I live in the heart of the city, as do many others in the world who live in the downtown areas of their city. The heart of the city particularly in ancient times, was the soul or the life of a city. It's where goods were sold. It's where delicacies could be sampled and people could gather together socially and safely. And so it was essential to protect or guard the heart of the city and boundary walls served that purpose. It's interesting, I think, to note, if you think about this, that the downtown areas in many of our cities today in America are often the most unsafe areas to live in. Their hearts are no longer guarded, and they've been overrun with crime and drugs and homelessness, and that's where there's not much life taking place, just survival. They're just trying to survive each day, which is not the way God intended for anyone to live. Well, speaking of human hearts... I mean, real human hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And just as the center of a city was the heart of a city and needed to be guarded or protected, our hearts are the center of us and need protection as well. And as we continue in our series through the book of Nehemiah called A People and a Place, Today we're going to look at what it takes to have secure boundaries or secure walls around us, just like cities needed to have secure boundaries around them. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, listen, like a city, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. I want to fix this a little bit, okay? I, I, a more literal translation of the Hebrew is necessary to see the seriousness of this. It's, it does say like a city whose walls are broken, but it says broken down. Not just broken through, but broken down. Is a person who has no custody. That word is better translated custody or protection over his spirit. And I like leaning more on the original Hebrew language here because being a custodian or a protector of our ruach, our spirit, makes this a much deeper issue than simply lacking self-control. And here's why. When God formed the first human out of the ground, he breathed his ruach. That's the Hebrew word for breath and spirit and wind. 
He breathed his ruach into that lifeless, inanimate dirt. And Genesis 2 tells us that it became a living, breathing, animated soul. It sprang to life. And this is an important exchange to be aware of because we breathe and we are alive and we are eternal beings because God's breath, God's spirit, his ruach is infused into every cell of our bodies. And if according to Proverbs 4.28 that the human heart is the wellspring of life, that everything that flows from it is what makes us flourish, then geographically the human heart is our downtown. It's our city center. Which makes it the reason why it needs to be guarded, protected. So much more than merely just lacking self-control, self-discipline. If God is the source of our life, then it makes sense that in order for life to flow out of our hearts, it must be continually connected to God. Our hearts must be connected to God. And when that essential heart connection to God becomes disrupted or dysfunctional in any way, when we let our guard down, so to speak, our walls become compromised. And we are now vulnerable to the assault on our ability to flourish. And that's why Proverbs 4.28 warns us to guard our hearts. And Proverbs 5.28 exhorts us to maintain secure boundaries. Don't let those walls be destroyed. And I hope, I hope, I'm doing a good job to demonstrate the biblical connection here to the importance of maintaining secure boundaries around the heart of an ancient city to the importance of maintaining secure boundaries around the heart of an eternal human being. I hope that you're with me on this. Because maintaining healthy boundaries in our lives isn't just some modern, trendy, self-help, psychobabble. On the contrary, it has Roots firmly grounded in the word of God, and I might add, since the beginning of time. Nehemiah took the time to ride around that ruined city of Jerusalem to assess the damage, to come up with a plan to rebuild its broken walls so that life could once again begin to flow through it and the people of Jerusalem could safely flourish. So the message today, I'm calling it Reboundaries. We actually did a series on this way back in 2005. Some of you might remember. It had the same name, but it was a long series. This is just, I just get a one and done here. Reboundaries, since Noah is not building a brand new wall, he's rebuilding the walls that once stood proud around Jerusalem. And we're using this story about how Nehemiah helped the city of Jerusalem rebound, right? Reboundaries, rebound from destruction. And we're using this story to talk about how we can rebound if our walls have been knocked down. And most of us, to some degree, even if it's just a structural crack, have issues 
around boundaries, okay? I shared last week how this has been a tough year for me and Andrea as a couple. If you want all the sorted details, just go back and listen to last week, okay? And for me, though, it's also been a year of doing some deeper personal assessment about how there still remains some compromised walls in my life that need to be fixed, need to be repaired, need to be rebuilt. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My dad was a rageaholic, and I spent many years overcoming the damage that comes from living in that kind of a scary, toxic environment, and I thought I was pretty far down the recovery road. But this past COVID year has surfaced some surprising cracks in my walls, and I realize that I still have some rebounding to do. And I'll share more about this later on in the message. Maybe this past COVID year has surfaced some cracks in your walls as well. You know, it's not maybe. I know it has because I talk to people all the time. It's been a year to kind of like it just, it just kind of just <sighs> reveals things like, oh my gosh. So let's see if we can make can get some further clarity on this subject. I want to share with you what I think is the most important Bible verse that speaks to the importance of having secure boundaries in our lives. It might surprise you, but hang in there, okay? It's Matthew 5, 37. And it's when Jesus says to his disciples one day, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, some versions say, let your yes be your, your yes and your no be no. Anything more comes from the devil. And the context of this passage is about making oaths or, or promises. That's the context. Jesus is saying, you don't need to add anything to a promise. You know, you don't have to spit in your palm three times. <laughs> Whatever you do. Draw blood from your finger. Just be clear. Just be clear about whether you are in or out, whether you can say yes or no to something. If it's yes, then do it. If it's no, then don't. Don't say yes if what you really mean is no and vice versa. Anything else Jesus says is like inviting the devil to be your life coach. And this passage is really about setting clear boundaries. It's about being secure in who you are and who you are not. And if you think about a boundary as a property line marked by a fence, let's say, the job of that fence is to distinguish between the beginning and ending of each property line. And so if one neighbor wants to build something on the other neighbor's property, he, asked, he has to ask permission in order to do so. And then the other neighbor needs to either say yes or no. But... Asking permission or being clear about yes or no doesn't always happen. And so there are thousands of property disputes that end up in the court each year to be settled. Maybe you've been involved in one. Well, it works the same way with human boundaries. 
my dad violated my property line with his rage. And our property lines are violated when they're violated, particularly when we're just kids. We, we grow up being unclear about where those property lines should be drawn, how do we protect them. It's just very difficult and confusing for people like me who come from family backgrounds like that. And as I entered into adulthood, I found myself frequently drawn to people who wouldn't respect my boundaries. Well, because I didn't respect my boundaries, right? But I was attracted to that because something strangely familiar or normal and comforting, I recognize from that, right? It's similar to how adult children of alcoholics often end up marrying an alcoholic, even if that person, they didn't even know it. We tend to be drawn to that which is familiar to us, even though it might be a very difficult situation. I hope that makes sense to you. It makes sense to you if you have some dysfunctional background. And so because my property lines had been violated so often, I was unable to let my yes be yes or my no be no. I was really good at maybe or I guess so, but only because I had a difficult time setting an appropriate boundary by saying, no, I don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. And I desperately needed reboundaries. I needed to fire the devil as my life coach and begin to experience new life flowing from my heart once again. It's been a long journey. You know, I'm 68 now. I haven't been in my home, my parents' home, since I was 18. Both my parents are now dead, and yet that still lingers a little bit in my life. Many of you have stories like this to share. And as a way of bringing even more clarity to this issue, I want to introduce you to a few of my friends, okay? I call these dysfunctional character profiles that have a tendency to develop when our walls become compromised, especially if it happens during our childhood, okay? And the goal of going through these profiles is to help us see uh, ourselves or a loved one in one or more of these characters, okay? And so let's begin with me introducing you to Drama Dave. Drama Dave, maybe you know someone like this, maybe this is you. Drama Dave, Dave lives from one crisis to the next. In fact, he's addicted to drama. And he escalates just about every issue that comes his way. And like a whirlwind, the whirlwind kind of life he lives, he draws as many people as possible into his drama. Then there's Stormy Stella. Stormy Stella is always boiling just under the surface. Oh, she works really hard at trying to be so sweet and calm, but she is easily triggered 
with very little predictability. And once triggered, Stormy Stella is completely out of control and sadly often hurts the people she loves the most. Then there's, by the way, you know, I'm not picking on anybody here gender-wise or anything like that. These are just things that I just wrote down. Then there's Bullseye Bruce. Bullseye Bruce is an easy target to pick on. Like he's wearing a bullseye on his chest and seems to easily attract people who will shoot arrows at him nonstop, especially people like Stormy Stella. And even though Bullseye Bruce hates being a target, he never says anything about it. He just keeps taking it over and over and over again. And then there's Clueless Cornelia. Clueless Cornelia is aware of everyone else's needs but her own. Looks good to others. She gets many accolades for her selflessness, but Clueless Cornelia often feels resentful and taken advantage of. She's been putting the needs of others above her own for so long that when Clueless Cornelia goes to the grocery store to go shopping, she can't remember anymore what she likes. She's lost the ability to value herself. Then there's Passive Pat. Passive Pat never wants to rock the boat because he hates making waves. His motto is peace at any price. And he continually lives in denial and avoids conflict. However, Passive Pat has a constant stream of fantasy conversations. You know, you ever have fantasy conversations? A thing you'd say if you had enough courage to say it? Kind of like Walter Mitty, if you know who that is. Then there's Desperate Dina. Desperate Dina needs to be accepted and liked also at any cost. And so she'll easily compromise her values to make that happen. When she believed that her boyfriend would reject her if she wouldn't sleep, if he wouldn't sleep, if she wouldn't sleep with him, she reluctantly agreed, but then constantly beat herself up for doing it. And then there's Wild Willie, who lives in constant rebellion, always bucking the system. He's the black sheep of the family, breaking all the rules, always living large, on the edge of life, and frequently getting into trouble. Did you see yourself or a loved one in any of these profiles? There's many others, and they typically develop as we grow up in our dysfunctional families of origin. And the cycle of dysfunction will continue to be passed on from generation to generation until someone in that family says, stop. It stops here and now. And then begins to assess the damage, leading to a plan to rebuild, just like Nehemiah did in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, removing her disgrace. Three and a half years ago, I stepped down as the lead pastor here at Cornerstone because I truly believe God was telling me that it was time to do so and to this day I believe it was the right thing to do. And it's been highly rewarding seeing Brian. Isn't Brian doing a great job? Incredible. And the rest of the staff, I mean, we are so blessed here to have an amazing staff. And they're taking Cornerstone to heights I could have never imagined or reached because it's just not who I am. And I couldn't be a more pr- a proud papa 
And I love be doing what I'm doing now in my new roles on staff here. But I would be lying to you if I said I was doing okay. All the years here of being a pastor, in the great church that Cornerstone is, unlike so many churches where there's conflict after conflict after conflict, our church is not like that. But all the years of being a senior pastor took a toll on me. So there wasn't constant conflict, but there was a lot of conflict with members over the years, many times over really shallow things. I've seen so many people come and go after becoming emotionally attached to them, especially the ones who became good friends. I mentioned last week, it's hard to, to live in a fishbowl where everyone knows what's going on in your family. And sadly, as a family, we've had many challenges for people to gawk at. At the recent four and a half years of the, this extreme political stuff that's been going on in our country, and it just all adds up to a lot of weight on my heart. It's just the reality. And don't get me wrong, I am proud. I am proud to be the founding pastor of this church. I never imagined being part of starting such a healthy congregation. I'd never trade the last 27 years, never. But somewhere along the way, even long before I came here to Boulder, I lost a part of myself. And I lost a part of the gene I used to love. Sorry for all the motions. Could you grab my little coffee cup right there and give it to me so I can drown my sorrow. Thank you. Nate and Malia Goodman gave me this yesterday. It says Saba Jean. Saba is the word for grandpa in Hebrew. And their son Isaac calls me Saba Jean. One other kid calls me Saba Jean. He's in Israel. His name's Roy. And he, um, he's a little bit older. Than Isaac. So I have two kids in this world that call me Saba. I think that's pretty cool. So during this last year of, of COVID weirdness, I don't know about you, but for me, many unresolved issues have come to the surface for me. It's the hidden blessing of COVID. Most of those things that have come to the surface have to do with loss. And I'm in a place where I need to repair some previously unnoticed cracks in my walls. I've got the walls, but they've got cracks in them. And I'm in a, a really challenging place right now, but I'm also in a really good place right now. I want you to know that. It's hard good, as my wife Andrea frequently says about life, hard good. 
And for the first time in a long time, I'm hopeful about moving in the right direction to reclaim some of what the locust has eaten in my life. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the prodigal son, who I believe leaves home to find himself. And he grew up in a great home, (laughs) didn't he? And yet he still lost something. He'll eventually return home, new and improved, but he has to leave home before this can happen. This is true for all of us, whether it's literal or metaphorical. We all have to leave home in order to find it. And in his quest to find himself, the prodigal son quickly runs out of money, finds himself feeding pigs, a disgraceful job for a Jew. He's in disgrace. And things get further disgraceful because he's out of money and he has to start eating the pig's food in order to survive. But it's then and only then that he has an epiphany moment. At that moment, and most of your Bible translations say, at that moment, he came to his senses. Maybe in today's Uh, vernacular, we would say he became woke. But it doesn't say he came to his senses in the original Greek language. In the original Greek language, it says he came to himself. Somewhere along the way in this young man's life, he lost a part of himself. We don't know why. He forgot who he was. And he became something he never wanted to be. His walls lied in disgrace, lies ruined in disgrace. And as you have listened to this message here in this room, and those of you who are watching at home, this message on reboundaries, what's been stirring up in you? Do you feel like a part of your life lies in disgrace as well? Have you become more and more like one of the defunctional character profiles I described, I don't know about you, but I identify with several of those. Have you lost a part of yourself and become someone you never wanted to be? <laughs> and more importantly, are you having an epiphany moment? Are you becoming woke? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 starts out, there's a time and a season for everything and every activity under heaven. When you get down to verse 3, it says a time to tear down and a time to build. Maybe it's time to build in your life. It's time to build in my life. But I love verse 11 because it says, but I'm reading this as a family 
because we're all in this together. So let's do it again. Insert your name. Substitute the word I for will. And let's read it again out loud. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jean. And I will no longer be in disgrace. One more time. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jean. And I will no longer be in disgrace. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Like, know how my heart is doing. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let that passage be our prayer today. Father, You've written a grand story and you've written our story as well. And you know all the things that are in our past and what's happening in the present and what's before us, that none of it surprises you. In some way, you actually ordained these things in our lives. For this moment, for such a time as right now, to have that epiphany moment to go and be something better than we've ever been before. So I pray for every heart in this room, every human heart, every eternal being. you would work in and through them today, tomorrow, the next day for months to come, Lord to help those of us that have compromised walls rebuild stronger versions of the person that you made us to be in the first place and if I might quote the words of the song we're about to to sing, you are here moving in our midst. We worship you. You are here working in this place. We worship you. You are here turning lives around. We worship here. You You are here healing every heart. We worship you. You are our way maker, our miracle maker, our God. That is who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep standing.